coming to get you, Barbara. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Welcome back to Long Walk Talks. My name is David Hensley. I'm the owner and creative director of Long Walk Productions, and I am joined today, as always, by my two co-hosts, Stan Wilson-Lee. Which level of the dream am I in? And Chris Wilson-Barnes. I think it's one, so this will only take a week to do. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, strap in. Is it a week? An hour? The first level is an hour, right? No, first Second level is a week. No. Let's not confuse ourselves right off the bat. There's <laughs> was, plenty of time for that. It was weeks, months, then decade. Uh, what? Shit, I don't even remember now, and it's only been a few <laughs> nights since I watched it. The only it. thing I'm shaky on is level two. Level one was a week, level three was a decade. Yeah, that's right, because Yusuf's formula was different than the one they normally use. Time They, they right. were under for longer. Yep. That's right. That's great. We're in case you haven't figured it out yet, uh, we are continuing our Christopher Nolan filmography discussion by discussing the 2010 film Inception. Can't wake up. <laughs> okay, is that the subtitle? Is that the parent parenthetical? I mean, if there's title? any movie that should have used that song, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right, so to kick off our discussion, uh, I want to ask. Uh, is this sort of controlled lucid dreaming, like the shared lucid dreaming experience as it's presented in the film, something that you would want to partake in? Stan, what do you think? I've had moments, I mean, not as intense, but I've had moments of lucid dreaming, which I enjoyed tremendously. But then there's other moments of lucid dreaming that I don't enjoy, like those moments when you think you're trapped under your covers and you can't get out and there's no way you can move, the sleep paralysis type lucid dreaming that's not fun but then there's the lucid dreaming where you're where you think you're a secret agent and you have a secret agent lady that you happen to meet 10 years later and it's oh that's the same girl that was in my dream and uh and and it goes on from there and you have that recurring dream every 10 years or so so where do you go stan (laughs) what secrets do you hold (laughs) but uh this uh the kind of group dreaming that they do throughout the movie Sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, because, you know, you know how much I love groups, you know, so, 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 so. Oh, you love groups. I love groups. And being part of them. And being the part more, of, the better. The more, the you better. say. Um, so, uh, but yeah, in this, in this situation, uh, it, it's not the same as a regular social function. So yeah. Um, you know, it's being asleep with a bunch of people. So, and sharing. You've done that plenty of times. I've done that plenty of times. And, uh, um, sometimes I'm the only one to sleep, but that's okay. But, you know, it's like, uh, to share the dream and to have the exploration and to be, to be aware of surrounding. See, it, the thing is with this is that, um, with inception is that they're all, you know, aware and they're all physically connected to what's happening and they, you know, it, and it's been set up to where they can control the situations or be, you know, at least partake full-heartedly into situations sort of they're not totally in control they're not totally in control as they come to find out yeah Yeah. but uh but the idea to be in that kind of situation yeah i think that would be that would be a blast especially depending on the dream though yeah chris what do you think oh god no (laughs) no um no and it's for one main reason um i don't 
think I would like it because uh, actually the way I you know I I do dream I know that but I've told you plenty of times before I barely remember anything I dream about I mostly just black out and as I'm waking up I remember the last or I, I feel the last bits of those dreams happening and I realized something based on stuff I've read I may not have a visual imagination like there there are people like that I, right. I, and, I and I realize when I think about stuff and I vision and I have an imagination about it I don't really see a lot of pictures in my head uh, which may be why when I when I what dreams I do remember I can remember th- things about them as like my brain is telling me what's happening but I don't ever have a picture of what I'm doing interesting so I don't know how well I do in a full-blown lucid dream where I would be able to see everything huh I did not know that about you I didn't really either I just it's kind of a conclusion I came to I don't think I had well because when I think about stuff I don't really visualize it huh well then um yeah I'm on the fence with this one because part of me would like to say, yes, I'd love to. But the whole explanation that this dream state works because of a shared collective subconscious also like terrifies the shit out of me. It should also because if there's anything from your subconscious that's going to poke through. Oh, yeah. Like I have very (laughs) vivid dreams. You've told me about your nightmares before. I have very vivid nightmares, too. Um, The idea of something from my subconscious poking through into a shared experience. uh, Slamming through like a freight train? Yeah, like a freight. That would be. I'd be afraid that my friends or the group that I'm sharing this dream with uh, would find out things about me or I would find out things about them that would just make it weird. And, and I think I have a thing with this because, you know, I'm the only third of this trio that is a, is a, is a valid, um, or, uh, what, what, when you be very careful with your next words, partaker in, in the herb. So it's like ah. I, the idea that I'm going to be, um, in an even deeper dream state or dreamscape, you know, that doesn't, that does. And I'm not sure if my, no, I have a, I, I, I have a visual imagine and, and have, have partook in my dreams, but, uh, but the idea that, um, to be enhanced and to be actually able to physically interact with the dreams, I think that would just be another step up in my, you know, partaking of the, altered consciousness you know so so as I, so as i took it as i was watching the movie i think for the most part since you are in fact lucid and conscious inside someone else's dream most of it would be still be under lock and key if you wanted it to be yeah but the very very anything that's very deep-seated uh, a deep-seated strong emotion that you feel about a past or tragic event resulting in say i don't know someone becoming the embodiment of guilt yeah right um and i feel like depending on who you take in with you you know yeah and to some extent i mean i most people or at least most people that i know are going to take in some deeply seated baggage with them into this um it's interesting that the movie portrays Cobb as being the only one and yeah like obviously he has a dark and troubled past uh, to borrow an old cliche, but um, I find it interesting that he is really the only one bringing that sort of baggage into the, into this shared conscious subconsciousness with them. You know, Tom Hardy's character complains about 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt's have, character having no imagination, but that seems to be the work in his favor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In he, order to do that work properly, yeah, he's he's able to um, disassociate himself from yeah, you know the uh, the awful he could, parts. He could have something horrible, but he's a, he's got it under enough lock and key that it's not going to bleed through. Well, and I also don't think it's ripe to say that. Uh, his character, I, Arthur, has no imagination yeah. considering what Arthur goes through to get that second. Oh kick. yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it. I mean, he's just it's just Tom Hardy's character taking a dig at him. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, not true because Arthur is definitely an engineer and Arthur uh, definitely just, an architect of his stuff. Yeah, engineers have imaginations. They're just more structured than most. Other exactly. People's. Yeah, the whole sequence of him having to tie everyone together and then push them down the hallway while floating through the air is. My favorite part of the movie, like everything with Arthur on level two. Not to mention to induce gravity by strapping them to an elevator and shooting the elevator up. Exactly, exactly. Um, All the geometry that's involved in that formation, you know, it's like, okay, I I have to put them this way. I have to use this particular, you know, go in this direction to get the, you know, and to where to set the charges so it does exactly what it needs to do, you know. It's like, yeah, I, I have the same reaction to the JGL's character in that and and it yeah so should we summarize the movie briefly yeah i mean we (laughs) could but also good luck (laughs) oh i can um it's a heist movie but you steal thoughts instead of anything tangible or it's a heist movie where you put stuff back or put something in the safe that's a reverse heist movie yeah it's a reverse heist movie basically you first learn oh this is a heist but it's inside the mind but then you learn then you learn you got to break into prison instead yeah Yeah. you have to you you implant thoughts into the dreamers or incept them for any listeners who have not seen this movie which why are you listening to the podcast (laughs) uh what are we 10 minutes in yeah, we are right at 10 minutes into the podcast. If you're listening, having never seen Inception, the film is about a group of thieves, but I have a weird time calling them that because... No, no. It's, I mean, well, it, it's kind of that. Um, and the lead character, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, specializes in breaking into people's minds through their dreams. Rogue and steal- therapists. Yeah, rogue therapists, stealing information from their uh, subconscious, uh, basically corporate espionage. And then selling that information, and he is hired uh, by kind of a shady uh, billionaire businessman to do the exact opposite, which is to break into somebody's mind through their subconscious and implant an idea. The the which get, which is how they let you still root for the characters because the idea is uh, the guy that they were trying to steal a thought, steal his this thought, his information. Uh, was an it was an energy broker. It was a big it was a big energy uh, owned an energy concern in Japan, and uh, they they failed. But what he wants to do is, uh, and he wanted uh, the, to incept the the people the people in charge of basically what is the world's in this story world's biggest energy broker to break the convince them to break up the monopoly that they basically have. Otherwise. It's going to be bad for everybody. So Saito says. <laughs> now, no, I honestly, I honestly agree with him because one people controlling at least half of the world's energy. I, he's right. Now, again, you have to take him at his word, but throughout the movie, he kind of proves himself to be a stand-up guy. Yeah, he, so, does. he does. Yeah. So I'm uh, willing to believe that. By the time he's um, injured, um, 
Uh, the, we're talking freely about spoilers by the time he gets yeah. shot. <laughs> by the time he gets shot, um, uh, we've we've come to we've come to see what he and that he's actually he's actually a pretty good guy. And, and, and so yeah, yeah, like, becomes, I'm not disagreeing with that point, but. I want to say that I often, you know, complain about things on this podcast that I hate. I love this movie. Mm, this yeah. is one of my favorite movies Agreed. and one of Nolan's best. However, under the harsh light of scrutiny, a lot of the actions that the characters take in this movie well, are questionable are well, oh, none of these morally are, questionable at best. None of these people are good. And the thing they're doing at its most basic is ethically dubious at best yeah and and there's there's plenty of points in the film where at least one character says that to Cobb, you know or to because tom hardy's character does uh arthur joseph gordon levitt's character elliot page's character they all they all have moments and then then turns out elliot page goes into the deepest part to see how deep that dubious and ends up accidentally playing the best therapist exactly exactly it's and and on top of that where was i going with this oh shit um that's a very good question i mean (laughs) okay should we go inside no i got it um (laughs) oh that's a great idea like this movie also tells you this was developed by the military for what they say was to basically join mines and combat and and do like combat exercises inside them, I don't believe that for a second. If it was developed by the military, they wouldn't just waste it on combat. Well, that's why Michael. Ca- it's like this Michael is Kane's character. This left. is how you topple governments, right? But I, I absolutely believe that the government would, uh, the U.S. military would sink conservatively oh, sure. millions, possibly billions of dollars into a project like this. MK Ultra. Yeah, exactly. It's the ultimate MK Ultra because... No, I'm saying they did. It's just like, there's no way it just stopped at combat training. (laughs) Oh, right, right. Yeah, that's. I'm sure that's how it... uh, That was the impetus behind it. Sure. I like how the movie goes to great lengths to talk about the special formula that they need um, and how, you know, the, the, the amount of time that they're under is uh, influenced by this formula and everything. There is no discussion given whatsoever to what actually links all of their minds together. That nah, just works. Yeah, it's just completely hand waved. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm sure it would have. You know, the movie's already two hours and thirty five minutes. Taking an extra five minutes to explain what it is that links their brains and their consciousses together would have just added more move, minutes onto the movie. But to say nothing of the fact that if you've ever talked to or listen to an anesthesiologist talk about putting someone under, you have to be so delicate about it. Right. Uh, that's how Michael Jackson died. He was just recreationally taking propofol. A propofol. It was, it was a basically an anesthetic. Yeah. To help him sleep, and he overdosed accidentally and didn't wake up anymore. Yeah. It's like, like you have to be super careful based on how, on, on a person's body type and just who they, each individual person. That if you fuck it up, they're dead. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to move on to our second topic of discussion, which is throughout the movie, we are uh, we have it explained that everybody who goes into this dream state, uh, for whatever reason, all of them have what they call a totem. And this is an item that they keep on their person that helps them differentiate whether they are awake in the real world or still in the dream world. So for Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Cobb, 
uh, it's his dead wife's uh, metal top, mm-hmm. um, which he spins. And if it falls over, he knows he's in the real world. If it keeps spinning, he's still in the dream world. Uh, Ariadne's, it, it's hard to tell exactly what it was, but it was like a pawn, wasn't it? From a chess board? Yeah, that's right. She craft, yeah, she crafts a, a chess yep. piece. And Arthur's is a loaded die. So my question oh, right. is, Stan, what would your totem be? Wow. Um, not sure. Um, what do I play with? Oh, <laughs> my God. I, um, you've had 48 hours. I, I didn't bring that. To... Um, I, I, I really don't know. Um, probably um, it has to be something that can... Don't say play with. <laughs> that has some sort of some sort of indication that it's that that it's doing something to where oh okay it did that so i'm still in the dream or it did that i i am in the real world now so i'm not sure what okay i have one for you it's your cell phone if you're holding it in both hands and typing (laughs) with one of your index fingers i'm awake you're awake and in the real world. If but, if using... but if you're holding it with one hand and typing with your thumb like normal people, you're in the dream. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> uh, Chris, what about you? What would your totem be? Mine would honestly be like Cobb's. It would be something simple. I, um, It would be either like a quarter or like a token. I have a token oh. collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I would keep a token with me because there's several that I have that are pretty unique. And I would, one, be able to guess it by sight. And then I would also just spin it. And like Cobb, if like if it doesn't fall over, then we got a problem. Right. Uh, I have two potentials that I had a hard time picking between. One of them, one of the- thanks to my um, my growing love for D and D over the last few years, yeah. would be a D twenty. Um, and the other one would be like a Zippo lighter, just to add a flair of unique. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Stan, did you did you actually have time to think of anything else? Uh, I I or- I. I, I, I- I love quarters so much. I use quarters to make major decisions in my life. So it's like, I probably have a quarter. And if it, um, I ask it a question and whatever, however it lands is, tells me where I'm at. I'm going to spend the rest of this podcast trying to think of a better totem for you. (laughs) I like the cell phone. See, I I thought of the token because that's personal. I'm trying to think because like they're, you know, you know, you always have those like things in your life, whether it's like a pen or something that it, like it doesn't work exactly like it should anymore. But mm-hmm. you know how it works because you've used it for. I'm trying to think of something like that, right? And you would know if it worked perfectly the first time. This is a dream. How about that filing cabinet you kept in the back of your car for six years? What about it? Would that would that <laughs> be your totem? If it's still in my car, if it's still in the back I'm of your car, yeah. <laughs> Because I right. have taken it out. So that's Thank it. God for that. All right. Um, <laughs> but oh, don't I need to put it back in? If we're, I'm gonna... we're, all, we're getting extremely personal. Some of our listeners have no idea who we are, you know, in real life. But uh, it's, yours is going to be a half-drunk Starbucks coffee cup that you forgot <laughs> to throw away. And if it's drunk? I'm if it's all gone, you are 100% still in a dream. <laughs> if it If it's cold and has been sitting there for several hours... That a could beer. be. If you hand him a beer and he can down it in one go. Without getting hammered. Right. Yeah. There we go. I can do that now, though. <laughs> Over how long a time? I can do that now, though. <laughs> All right. So our next topic, topic of discussion isn't so much good, <laughs> a topic as it is just a stray observation that I wrote down, I like which that. is 
I want the entirety of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's uh, wardrobe in this movie. It is a great wardrobe. It is. I love it. I, I, I want to say they're boss. The the brand is boss. Is the word is he might it might be Calvin Klein, but it, um uh, but it could very well be Hugo Boss stuff, or it could be um uh, oh my god I can't remember the uh, uh, Zegna, the Italian brand, but but they look like Hugo Hugo Boss stuff. Chris, did you have any thoughts? Um, I mean, I, I mean, if you want to see men in suits doing interesting things, I mean, a Nolan movie is the place to go. Yeah, yeah that's true. true. I love the fact that Arthur, JGL's character, is basically costumed as Christopher Nolan, who notoriously wears like three-piece suits to set. <laughs> You're right. Except the difference is that people around uh, JGL in this movie get to sit down, <laughs> unlike people on Christopher Nolan sets. Oh, really? Is that a thing? Have you never heard about the whole... Um, no sitting. If, if you're rules. not in the scene and you're blocked oh, to sit. You well, I mean, obviously, they, if you're blocked to sit, if you're on camera, yes, you can sit. But like, apparently, Nolan thinks that if you're sitting while you're on a set, you're not working. You know, oh, he's one of those people. Yes, he is. He doesn't allow chairs and, and on people, his sets. People complain Does about he Christian not understand? Bale. There are also people with disabilities who can't stand up for 10 right. hours a day. Right. Yeah, no, I... No wonder Christian Bale is as pissed off as he is. Um, just a, a real quick aside story. This came out in summer of 2010, shortly after my birthday. Uh, I turned... Tw- oh God, how old was I that year? <laughs> I was 24, and uh, me and my friend... Subtract 11. Yeah. Me and my friend Brian had gone to see Inception. And uh, for my birthday, somebody had bought me a bottle of absinthe. So one hot night in July, we decided we were going to drink absinthe. <laughs> Go see Inception? No, we started... To, we got very drunk very quickly that'll and happen started talking about how awesome uh, joseph gordon levitt's wardrobe in the movie was so it was after the movie yeah okay. and we decided in our drunken state let's go and put on our suits so we each went on went out and put on a three-piece suit <laughs> and, and proceeded to get more hammered <laughs> at which point uh the girl i was dating at the time came over having just gotten off work at around one o'clock in the morning and looked at us and was like what in the hell are you two doing? It is a hundred degrees outside. <laughs> and we're like, we want to be like Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Inception. This reminds me of the bit in, in Patton Oswalt's uh, talking about getting drunk and going seeing a movie on Christmas. A capital idea, old sport, vomit. Yeah. Well, this story ends with uh, my, my ex-girlfriend telling us that, well, she has to go get groceries now. And we're like... That's great. We'll go with you. So she had to drive our drunk asses to Walmart. But you're in suits, though. Yes. We are walking around Walmart in three-piece suits, just wandering like children who are unattended. And the other suits. In the Walmart suits. I mean, you're not the weirdest thing there by far. No, it's true. But can we say how great JGL is? We cannot. (laughs) But I'd like to say the cast is great. Yeah, it is. Uh, Uh... over over the whole cast they're all they're all really great jgl though i think this was the grown-up movie the the movie that made him grow up you know yeah um and uh now he can do adult parts tom hardy actually it seemed like got to have fun in this movie tom hardy had a lot of blasts which uh 
it seems like he doesn't always get to do or didn't always get to do until he became Venom. And Elliot Page has the unenviable job of having to be the one to either explain a lot of ex- exposition or have a lot she of exposition. Was, she was basically they. the audience. Th- sorry, you're right. They. Um, the She was the audience surrogate. They were the audience surrogate. Yeah. And pulls it off. I mean, it's absolutely believable just because, well, we'll talk about this. This is one of our later topics. But yeah, you're right. The cast uh, is brilliant. Even the small, Michael Caine. Uh, Michael Caine for the three mi- three minutes he's in the movie. Uh, uh, Marianne Cotillard, uh, which is it might be the last movie that I've actually enjoyed her tremendously in. <laughs> I always but forget how much you hold grudges against actors and actresses. I don't have, I don't have hold a grudge. Is that Anne nope. Hathaway? Anne Hathaway. <laughs> that so, was just bad. <laughs> our uh, our next topic of discussion. There is a point in the film where uh, they get introduced to Yusuf's uh, what is essentially like the imagery evokes an old opium den. Yeah, where people are lucid dreaming. Uh, or in this collective dream in this basement off of Yusuf's own special formula. Mm-hmm. So to test it out, Cobb hooks himself up. And then when he comes out, goes into the bathroom to spin his top, the top falls off. Like he, he's so flustered that he tries to spin it and it ends up falling off the surface. Saito comes in and interrupts him. So he picks it up. You never actually see him spin that thing proper so my question to you is is everything that happens after that just a product and i know chris you you kind of you alluded to this in the text that you sent me yeah i meant the final one but yeah this one's a good one too yeah i mean there's the question of how much of this film is presented as we are told it is which is the four layers of the dream state with everything that's happening on the plane being the real world and the ending taking pl- taking place in the real world which has been up for debate for the last 11 years or basically at what point if it is all a dream did the dream start and i noticed this time the whole the the reason i bring up the opium den imagery and all of that is that's where I picked it out. Like, oh, if this is starting anywhere, this is where it would be. Stan, what do you think? I think it's an interesting point because we don't see at the end if the top actually falls or not. It, it appears that it's getting to a point where it's going to topple, but then it goes to a blackout um, uh, to end the movie. So the idea that m- maybe maybe Christopher Nolan was aware of his own stuff early enough. To, so, oh, I did that earlier and we don't know if he actually spun the top correctly so i'm gonna end it this way and so it could still be the dream and that top isn't gonna stop spinning you know and uh um but we don't know and i and i think it's it's a good setup for the ambiguity for the ending so because i had forgotten about that um because when i rewatched it i had already started it a few weeks before I finished watching it, so I'd forgotten about the beginning of the and how that's set up. Um, but yeah, that's a really interesting point uh, and sets up a lot of the ambiguity that's left at the end. So I, I enjoy that. Chris, what are your thoughts? I think, I honestly, I can argue the opposite way. I think it's less ambiguous than you think. And I think, because Nolan has a way of just, he, he, show, he'll, he shows you exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. He usually doesn't outright trick you. 
he, maybe he'll recontextualize something later. Right. But um, I think it's an excellent. I think it's important to point out every time he was in the dream and the, and you, you saw the top spinning in a dream, it always spun perfectly every time. Mm-hmm. It held a tight circle. It never wavered. And whoever, whenever it was spun, you never fucked it up. So him fucking up and spinning the top is, I feel, is a good indication that it was real. Okay. Good. And at the end, this, I think Nolan Nolan does he pushes the ambiguity where because he makes it seem when 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 Cobb is exiting and going to his home makes everything seem very dreamlike. There's a lot of out of focus. Uh, there's like a, like a hazy kind of feeling to it. Everyone glances at him on his way out, mm-hmm. but when he spins the top, again, it's not it's not a tight circle. You see it wobble early mm-hmm. on, and even though it cuts before it, whether or not it falls, right. it's about to. You see it start taking a wider uh, arc and start and, and start tipping in the middle of it. And Nolan made sure to show you every time when it was in a dream, it spun perfect. Absolutely agree, and I think that's the optimism. I, and I think that yeah, that is the optimism in me. Maybe. Yeah, that's what I was exactly what I was going to say is uh, you know the rare times for me where hope springs eternal. I, yeah, I like to think of this movie as having an optimistic ending. I, me too. Because the idea that he was in a dream the entire time would have been the ultimate down end, downer ending. And Nolan isn't one to just make a downer ending. Right. He. I mean, he, from everything we've watched, in some form or another, things kind of end happily for the people Nolan feels it should end happily for. Yeah. And I, so I think it does. Mm. I think I think they do it. All right. So our next topic. Well, uh, before we jump into the next topic, though, speaking of Cobb, if you were taking bets, like you know in the hour, basically you get an hour set up to a 90-minute heist movie. Reverse heist, whatever. Um, and in the, at the hour, they make it clear that as they're setting this up, Cobb's compromised. So you know at some point... Cobb's problems are going to burst into the dream and make it and you, you're sitting there going, okay, so what dramatic moment is it going to happen? If you're taking bets on when the problems are going to start, where do you place that moment happening? Do you have literally within the first five minutes of things <laughs> happening when a freight train bursts down the middle of New York? It, it's a really I didn't, great, and that was hilarious. It's a really great um, and surprising mm, yeah. moment that just... This I mean, r- things have been set in action. The race the against time just, is even more of yep. a race against yep, time. Literally. Yep. And <laughs> that was when I sent topics to you. That was that was what I meant by Christopher Nolan's timing versus his pacing. Yeah. Because I'm not going to lie, some of this was not a lot, just some of it, some of the action scenes were put on like a, like times two. Yeah. I sped through a little bit of it because getting to the next important part of the plot, he likes his pacing. Well, it, I feel like it's perfectly visually... Uh, exemplified by all the cutaway shots to the van still falling. Yeah, yeah. It's like his pacing I, I, I have issues with, but his timing yes. for when things happen is superb. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we already sort of touched on this, so I feel like this won't be a long uh, discussion, but at, <clears throat> at some point in the movie, I wrote down three words. So much exposition. Yeah. <laughs> and it is all, I think, perfectly necessary <clears throat> given the concept of this film and 
Christopher Nolan has always been great. Uh, Katie and I talk about this all the time. When you watch a Christopher Nolan movie, you, you need to sit down and just be prepared to get on board. Uh, you're, you're, there's not a lot of hand-holding in a Nolan film. Um, just, just accept whatever is in front of you and try to keep up. So like I said about Elliot Page having the unenviable position of having exposition thrown at them and then having to also deliver exposition i feel like in the hands of a lesser director none of that would have worked like we would be talking about how great the action scenes were and literally nothing else and she's so sincere they, um, thank you they they're so sincere about what they deliver so mm-hmm. um i think that that, helps that a yeah lot. Her, uh, her their sincerity is just amazing you yeah know? and i think that that's what helps that go through. Chris, thoughts on the sheer amount of exposition? I think I think you're right. That a lot of times, the difference between a, a good version of what we saw and a bad version of that is how they're able to feed you the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I like I said, talking about uh, when when you know with Cobb's problems bursting in, you have an hour. You have basically an hour of setup mm-hmm. where they're preparing this mission. And through it, as they're especially, it's especially helpful that as they're talking, you're getting the bits and pieces of okay, what this is, how it's being used, why they're doing it, what the applications are, how they're going to be able to do what they do, and they, they do they do a marvelous way of setting it up and just and helpfully reminding you. It's very much like if they somebody were to make a sci-fi James Bond film. Yeah, he knows. Christopher Nolan is good at knowing when to give you the next important fact you need to know about it. Yeah, instead of just front-loading yeah. you with everything and just and and, le- or, or, and not and not not and not dropping too much, but enough that you connect the pieces and you're like, oh, okay, so I, I get it now, and you don't feel in any way negative negatively about how you've been given the information because there's there's plenty of times where. S- where sometimes they'll drop a plot point in a movie, or the, or the they'll do it in such a way where it's like, oh come on, yeah, like no, no it's like now it basically when it basically feels like they're re, they're adding a provision or a special rule in there for how this works so that they can get away with it. Yeah, lazy writing, right? Basically, yeah. And some and they're not they're not charismatic, you know, to basically wink at the camera, and go yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Well, the last note that. I wrote down and then we'll uh, get into yours, Chris, that you sent us. Um, At one point, I just wrote down the audacity of this movie. (laughs) And then when I sent it out, I had to add an addendum. And I mean that in a good way. Um, Again, like in the hands of a lesser director, so much of this film should not work. Mm -hmm. The fact that we have like concurring fight scenes on wherever the hell that snowy mountain was with a bunch of people in Jeeps that have treads on them and Tom Hardy. That literally on a jet is a James ski. Bond scene. You're right. Yeah. Um, which, I, oh shit. I read about it. I can't remember which movie it was a James Bond film that inspired it. According to Nolan. Was it, Oh, uh, was it view to a kill? Cause they have the opening. Yes, ski, I think. Yeah. It's the opening ski scene. Um, he didn't use California girls though. Well, that is happening concurrent to the whole Joseph Gordon-Levitt hallway thing in which he is in a fist fight with a bunch of guys in zero gravity, while in another level, there is like the classic rainy city uh, street chase going on. All of it 
which is a pee joke. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's... Yes. Because you have drank too much before going under. Yes, I love that. That's the first thing you're told when you get in there. Could have went bathroom. Stan and I ended up having to Google this yesterday because we were sitting there uh, trying to think of who was in charge of every level. Yeah, so because there's one person who whose job it is to maintain yeah. the level of the dream that you're on. So Yusuf was level one. Yeah, and when I we I ended up having to look it up because we were debating it, and then I was like, "Oh right, of course it was Yusuf because it was raining because right. he had to pee." Yeah, level one is Yusuf. Level two was Arthur. Level three was Eames. Yes, and Limbo was Cobb. Yeah, it just the fucking audacity of Christopher Nolan to make all of this happen and to make it work is astounding to me. He doesn't answer that question, though. When they get back to the real world or they wake up back in the plane, did Yusuf pee in his pants? I I was thinking because, that, that was going to be part of it. No, I think he was able to hold it. But, but with all the stuff that happens in the dream, you know, he gets he gets rammed, he gets shot at, you know, and it's, so it's like all the stuff that would have... And then he falls into the river. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I don't... Here, he, I, it, it's been a trigger for me to wake up and have to go to the bathroom. Right. And I, I've seen other people talk about it too. Usually, if you dream and a toilet shows up, like that, in your that dream, it's happening. That, then you're you have to get up because you're about to go. Okay. Because I, I've I've seen other people talk about it too. It's happened to me as well. Where suddenly your mind snaps to and realizes, oh shit, I'm about to pee myself. Well, and I suppose it also depends on just how good the first class service on this airline <laughs> is, because there is that one air hostess because she's actually doing the it, stuff, yeah. right? The, yeah. The, the so one she person may have they had a catheter there or something. You know, I didn't check to see if Yusuf was wearing a different pair of pants when we got there. <laughs> right. How awkward would it be if her job is there not to give them champagne and, and their in flight meals or whatever. Clean them up. She is just she's looking at all of them, making sure their vitals are right, making sure the little uh, suitcase machine is working, and then all of a sudden she just hears something and looks over and Yusuf is pissing his pants. Well be, to be honest, in a practical sense Based on how heavy they were going to be under and what they were going to be experiencing, I might have worn a diaper. I mean, and, and they're maybe so, they are. Maybe exactly. They are. They're so well prepared for everything yeah. else. Everybody except poor uh, Robert Fisher. Yeah. Like, if he pees himself, that's just going to be very awkward when he wakes up. Uh, yeah, I, I just love the sheer insanity of this film. I will say, somewhere in a parallel universe. Based on what I've seen so far, and probably based on the rest that we'll see, Christopher Nolan is in a in a parallel universe, uh, living in Japan as the foremost non-Japanese anime maker, because hit the genre. I mean that that genre is very broad, but in Japan they use anime for everything from serious drama to wacky comedy and everything in between, and his works would just so easily translate to either just standalone movies or anime series because that's what his concepts are. Yeah. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about one of the most mimetic things to come out in the last 15 years, which is... Brom. Yes. You could not go anywhere after the trailer for this movie came out without hearing that sound effect punctuating everything. 
Is that where it started? Yeah, because it's it's the kick. It's the music. That's playing. right. That's right. That's right. That's and right. it permeated the media for this movie. Uh, Stan, thoughts about the sheer audacity of the things that we witnessed? Um, we had talked about this earlier. It's like that the audacity, the sheer audacity, is what Nolan has perfected since Memento, in the sense that he's using it as his way to dump exposition if he needs to, you know, to, and, and, and he just uses the best moments and makes the moments so big and so audacious that when he, when he decides to drop some exposition on you, it's part of the audacity. So mm-hmm. it's like the idea that he's um, perfecting that as he's going along and inceptions, the first moment where we see that at its peak. Mm-hmm. You know, his use of that um, bigness, even if it's a small moment, but in, in, in the sense to make the epicness and the scale of the film even more than it than it should be. Um, I think Inception is where he finally made. Oh, that's it. Boom. And so and everything and leading up to Tenet, which we'll get to later. But the idea that without Inception, I don't think Tenet can happen. Because Tenet is literally his It's, it's like a spiritual successor exactly. to this film. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Chris, thoughts about the audacity of Inception? I mean, his thoughts about movie making seem to be fortune favors the bold. So. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, he, uh, he had gained enough clout in Hollywood to basically be given free reign over this movie and as much money, it seems like, as he wanted to make it happen. And God damn if he didn't make it happen. Um, so Chris, you sent us a couple of notes. The first of which we sort of, I think the first couple we might've, what was the, it was, did Cobb wake up at the end? Uh, yeah, we argued. Yeah. The first two, I think we covered. I think he did. Stan. Uh, I agree. I yeah. Think he did too. Yeah. The hopeless romantic in me wants to think that he finally, uh, put aside his past with Maul. Uh, the job was completed. He finally got to go home. Saito. And he could wait. He could wait for the kids to turn around and yes. actually face him. So, yeah. yeah, he saw the kids, and I think you know he. Nolan is also, I think, a romantic in that sense because, as evidence following in Dark Knight Rises, he's not one to jerk you around and make you see these people struggle and then fail. And right. then his father-in-law, played by Michael Caine, who invented Michael Caine, Michael Caine, um, who is not in any of the dreams, is yeah. there uh, when he gets home to. Uh, he's taking care of the kids, so the idea that um, he invented the inception process, you know, it's like um, he's there. So. And I mean, Mike Cocaine himself kind of <laughs> took the piss out of it by telling, uh, in, during an interview or something, he just flat out told an interviewer, uh, yeah, every scene that I'm in takes place in the real world. Right. And also, yeah. on top of That's that, right. you'll notice uh, every other time Cobb spun it, even when he failed, um, he's staring religiously at it. And at that point, even if it's not the real world, he's accepted where he is. He's, he's, he's gone. He's, he's, he's at very least at peace with himself. Yeah. Because he doesn't even watch that top spin. Yeah. And then I really love the way you worded this last one. Yeah. Nolan's love of extraordinary sci-fi concepts applied in mundane ways, like dream hacking for corporate espionage, duplication machines for being better at magic. That's what it was. <laughs> And that's what made me think of the anime connection because that's that's how the anime takes a fantastic concept. They lay, they with laser with laser focus they draw it down to a, a very small singular thing, 
and and explore it. And now I just want to think of other ways you could take like extraordinary concepts and apply it to mundane ways, like yeah. a fully sentient artificial AI whose entire job is to be a stopwatch. Got kind of you come home and it's like mr hensley would you like anything timed for you tonight you know what i'm good i don't need to time anything okay see you tomorrow yeah i'll see you in it, 10 hours it's no sets, i'm gonna it's sleep your, in it's your alarm clock the, i mean i mean i mean the the it kind of get away with it in the prestige because agree to disagree kind of in that it wasn't like widely known that the thing was a duplicator right right that Tesla made him a duplicator, a cloning machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, just a straight up cloning machine. Let's let's not um, veer back. I, I got an earful from uh, our dear friend and uh, listener Robert Bradford about my thoughts and opinions on. The I'll Prestige. argue with him. Bring him on here. I will argue. Well, anyway. and I damn near um, in our only like sequel follow up episode, I almost invited Robert on here to discuss the <laughs> Prestige, like just me and him oh, making man. it to a teeny talk. Which probably um, wouldn't have been that teeny, um, but and then and then but this one seems like it's gotten out like it's gotten out from the military. This isn't known in the wider world, and like you, the first thing you hear about is like they did this for a thing called Cobol Engineering, and it's just like what what is this what is this, what else what else is this being used for? <laughs> like this is like the perfect therapy tool. Um, I hope it's being at least used in that field, since apparently it's just being widely done within the world, or at least it's known. And also, how terrifying is it to think if you are someone of any importance or in a field of any importance, uh, I'd be severely worried about sleeping around anyone I don't exactly. know. And, and you brought it up earlier, just the amount of training it'll take to to be able to gauge yeah. the amount of the serum or the uh, uh, formula that each person is given and mm-hmm. who sets it up and, and I so think it's in, like, I think in general it seems like it's safe to do uh, but I think the, the the inception thing was different because it involved a sedative right that made it more dangerous yeah but I, I but yeah you're right I mean it's like there's there, there's a chance you can just fuck up the regular version exactly because Yusuf Yusuf has to be a major you know at least some kind of high chemi- you know chemistry chemical oh, yeah. engineer type you know to be able to con- co- consistently because otherwise just like, you know one at a time you are essentially putting yourself to sleep exactly <laughs> exactly is as secret as that it's secretly his formula is just warm milk <laughs> right <laughs> i mean that'll put you right out I mean, yeah exactly but yeah just i just it's weird to think about it's like this world changing world shaking thing for corporate espionage. Well, the, when yeah. when Cobb tells Ariadne about, um, oh, I'm just doing experiments. You know, he's, yeah. he's getting himself deeper and deeper into his own self. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's doing things on his own. And it's like, he doesn't necessarily know the mechanics or the makeup or the chemistry that he needs. He's doing experiments. So when does he should have been the biggest overdose? exactly when because does he you don't overdose experiment on he, yourself like that yeah and uh, realistically Cause brain damage uh, the limbo thing you know well yeah i mean arthur after their last mission together at the beginning of the movie arthur should have been like listen you we are we've been friends for a long time you're like a brother to me i love you i'm not fucking doing this with you again until you've had a lot of therapy yeah. your yeah. dead wife shot, shot me in the me kneecap, kneecap. 
Mm-hmm. And then and then uh, Tom Hardy's character has the same moment. Uh, I forgot what in uh, what what section of the dream, or I think it was right after the the van or right before the van. Um, uh, I forgot, but but he's like, I'm not doing it anymore. Right, I'm right. Done. He's ready to pull out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, I said this is kind of like, or Tenet was kind of like a spiritual successor to Inception. I, but I also feel like Inception is a spiritual successor itself to The Matrix mm-hmm. because both of these are paranoia fuel the movie. Yep. Oh, yeah. With The Matrix, it was like, well, fuck, what if we all are hooked up to a giant computer and everything around us is just a very complex simulation and none of us have lived in the real world at all? Now it's you, Inception comes along and it's like, well, fuck, what if I'm hooked up to a dream machine? <laughs> well, actually, they sort of addressed this where they... they, they um, I think last year we were. They talk about how Eames, the guy Killian Murphy plays... Um, uh, uh, Fisher? Fisher? I'm sorry, Fisher. Fisher. Eames is... Eames is... Okay. Fisher has been trained mentally yeah. in order to counteract right. people uh, trying to, to, to do that to him. Yeah. That's a, that means it's widely known in the world to, to happen. Imagine that conversation where, like, you get promoted. Yay, I'm the head of the company. I get my own private cell phone. I have my own Mercedes now. I have a key card to the building. And I have to take eight hours of dream security. Dream security. Excuse me, what is dream Dream mercenaries? What is dream security training? Oh, yeah, you have to come in on a Saturday so that people can train you how to populate your brain with mercenaries. So that they can fight off anyone trying to get inside your head and steal secrets from you. What? <laughs> do people actually do that? Oh, more than you think. It yeah, happens oh, all the time. Oh, by the way, it's happening right now. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I fucking love this film. I I sort of accidentally... This is not something I set out to do, but I, I kind of end up accidentally watching this movie like at least once a year. Yeah. Um, just because I will be flipping through things and I'll be like, ooh, Inception. I haven't watched that in, oh, about 11 months. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Stan, do you have any uh, final thoughts about Inception before we start wrapping up? Um, I, I, again, it's it's kind of, you know, when you see, well, it's like, it's like for me with uh, Tarantino and seeing Kill Bill, mm-hmm. you know, boom, okay, okay, that's what he's been working up to. And then his, his jump into the next phase of his movie making, I think, Inception is the same way for Nolan, I think. Um, even though he has his Batman films going on, and then Dark Knight Rises is comes next after this. Um, but the idea that oh, that's the Nolan we've been building up to, and right. then the stuff after this just gets more and more interesting. Even even his weaker films later are still the growth of the perfected Nolan. And, uh, so yeah, I think Inception's really great in that sense. Uh, I'm looking at the time code for this episode and, and we've been talking, we've only been talking about this movie for 50 minutes, hmm. um, which as I was trying to talk to Stan about yesterday, um, I had a hard time coming up with discussions for this uh, film because as complex as this plot is, it's still relatively straightforward. Yeah, it, uh, it flows very easily. Yeah. yeah. Even if you don't completely understand the the dream sharing mechanics, which, you know, good luck trying to do that anyway, 100%. 
Um, it's still a very straightforward story. Now, the same cannot be said about Interstellar, which we're going to be discussing next. A film that I have seen once, <clears throat> did not understand, and we're going to see if I get it any better this next time. I have two final thoughts. One, I like the idea of when the mind figures out there's an intruder they, that every part of the dream turns on you, like Invasion of the yes. Body Snatchers. Yeah. And two, uh, boy, those sound problems, those sound mixing issues are getting worse. Um, See, I did not think it was as bad oh, with this one. Okay, well, it wasn't as bad because there wasn't a lot of like music behind it, but there were parts where it's like I had the captions on from the get-go, and I'm glad I did because they just start talking really softly. Oh, yeah, I did notice that for sure. And it's like, I'm glad I can read that because I couldn't fucking hear it. I miss some of Sido's stuff for that. And I don't. And I oh, don't, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree. A lot of Sido's lines were uh, kind of lost in the mix. And, and Ken, we got to say, Ken Watanabe is great. Just let yeah. Me tell you. Yeah. But I mean, he had, he didn't, he did that with almost every character at some point. And it, it's like, I, it's like, I live alone. I don't watch movies quietly. I don't have to, but I, tur- I, I keep the captions on for him anyway, because I have to. Yeah, now see, at least it felt like an effort was made to uh, mix the audio mm-hmm. on this one, unlike The Prestige and unlike um, Interstellar. Oh, and yeah, they had, to, they had to put notices in theaters for Interstellar. It's like, that's the way the movie's mixed. We yeah. can't turn it up. It's supposed to sound like that. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> this is probably going to be uh, our last podcast here in my uh, downtown Rock Hill office. Pretty soon we're going to be packing up and moving digs to uh, uh, the future Long Walk Studios uh, slash, if you ask David, Two Dogs Hayes, Kayfabe Outpost 1. Fort Kickass, yes. Yeah, Fort Kickass. I like that better. <laughs> we're going to throw both of those out. Um, so in the meantime, it's going to be about another month before another uh, podcast comes out on Long Walk Podcasts. Uh, so Stan, if people want to reach out to you online, I'm going to regret asking you this. Where can they find you at? Twitter. Can they? And what's your Twitter <laughs> handle, Stan? It's Twitter handle, Stan. <clears throat> I'm looking it up. No, I'm going to go and fucking register that for you. Like as soon as this is done and you're going to start getting I'm all kinds of I'm still waiting for the Tinder account, man. Wait, that's too long to be a Twitter handle. You've got like 15 characters. What? <laughs> uh, Chris, how about you? If people want to reach out to you online or follow you online, where can they do that? At? Uh, Well, you can find me in the pit that is uh, Twitter at Chris Twitter. the OK because I have an actual Twitter handle. That's O-K-A-Y. Um, <laughs> I mean, it'll it'll still be up when Facebook goes out again. All right. Well, if you want to follow me online, the best place to do that is going to be on Instagram at DB Hensley. If you want to keep up with Long Walk Productions, you can visit us online at longwalk.us or you can search for Long Walk Productions and Long Walk Podcasts on Facebook. To see more of our original work or hear past episodes that are no longer streaming, you can follow the YouTube links in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoy this show or any of the shows on the Long Walk Podcast Network, please make sure to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are listening on. Peace out. Dave, Dave, the top is still spinning. Dave, the top is still spinning. (laughs) 